Blog Talk Radio. There is a watchman on the wall, bringing forth the written word of God to one and all. Are you getting ready? Will you stand or will you fall? Listen to the watchman on the wall. Listen to the watchman on the Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. Wonderful to be with you on this Tuesday after Thanksgiving. It's been a while since we've been on the air together. We're going to have an amazing broadcast today. In about 15 minutes, our brother Chris from the West Coast will be calling in. Chris King from Lions Path Ministries will be calling in. We'll be having a very good discussion on many things going on in the church and in the world today. Uh, Again, so much happening in the world, Middle East, upheavals, possible war with Israel and Iran, getting Russia and Turkey involved, Um, a conversation that we need to have, and some very close friends that um, are kind of keeping a a very close eye on what's going on in the Middle East. Uh, Around this country and other nations around the world, we continue to see the same thing. Uh, But what I would like to begin this week with, the broadcast, Uh, For the first 15 minutes, I want to read a scripture out of the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, because regardless of what is going on in the world, regardless of all the things that we see, we see them, we acknowledge them, we understand by the things that we see what time it is, we give interpretation to it, but it's always back to what is God doing in the church? What is God doing through the church? Okay, and so there's a very awesome passage in Hebrews chapter 9, and I just want to read the first couple of verses here, in, beginning in verse 6, Hebrews 9, 6. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, 
accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. Now here's the kicker. Which stood only in meats and drinks and in divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. Reformation. That's what I want to talk to you for just a few moments about. The word reformation there in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 10 is a Greek word, diorthosis. All right, so the better way to say that would be diorthosis. And the diorthosis literally means to straighten thoroughly, rectification, uh, the messianic restoration. It also talks about, in a physical sense, a making straight or restoring to its natural and normal condition, something which is some way protrudes or has got out of line, has broken or mishappened limbs. Uh, in other words, if something is out of line, its reformation is to bring it back into order, back into alignment. So God was saying in the book of Hebrews that upon the people of Israel, the Hebrews, that there were all these laws and washings and ordinances that all those things were there, but there would come a time of reformation because those ordinances, those washings, all of that stuff that was going on in the Messianic age, or excuse me, the Mosaic age, the Old Testament, really was not bringing what God was after. It wasn't bringing a, an alignment to his heart. And so the reformation that was spoken about was the age of grace, the age of the Spirit, the age of Yeshua, the Messianic age, where Jesus Christ brought in a brand new age, if you will, and he brought in the age of grace, the age of light, the age of truth. And by the Holy Spirit, there would be a reformation or a reforming of what the intended purpose of God has always been. And the intended purpose of God has to was always, from the very beginning with Adam and Mrs. Adam, was to bring them into his likeness and into his image. I think we could all agree that God created man in his own image and likeness. So because of this sin issue in the garden, obviously everything broke down, misalignment, uh, you know, protruding limbs, things out of order. So we've seen through the epochs of time or the different dispensations of time that God would bring certain reformations to bring about that alignment. Well, the writer of the book of Hebrews is simply saying that even the Mosaic administration still did not accomplish what God was after, the realignment of the eternal purpose or the original intent for mankind, which is to bring him back into the likeness of God. The law could not do it. The Mosaic law could not do it period. If it could, there would have been no need for Christ to go to the cross. So 
we're talking about a time of reformation. And when we talk about reformation, we, I, I want to share just a few thoughts on it. And these are part of my studyings through the years, and I hope they're a blessing to you. As we look to the book of Genesis, or the beginning, we find that God had created man in his image and formed a man from the dust. Okay? If you go to New Wine Ministries, you hear a lot of this, but maybe for someone out there today, you have not heard this before. Nonetheless, there is scripture to back up everything we're saying. So we know that God created a man in his image and likeness, and he formed a man from the dust, going back to the book of Genesis. The man of the dust was not the created man. That man has been the center of God's thought since the beginning. Father has once or has one desire, and that is to have a man, a male female, to fellowship with. That formed man had become deformed, all right? So the first man, Adam, out of the dust that God shaped and fashioned and formed, sinned, and he was deformed after the fall and through the ages has been in the process of reformation through transformation. Up until the year 4000 BC, the deformed man was bound to destruction, death, decay, and corruption. That was the history of mankind from Adam all the way to Yeshua, Jesus. The Lord of all creation sent a man who was the word, who was with God and who was God to the earth, the world of deformed man, and had him to speak a transforming word. In formation that was released from the Son of God was translated into spiritual understanding in the deformed man, which brought about a transformation in his thinking, producing a series of reformations until this time, which is the now time for the ultimate formation of the new man, which is in the earth, but is not earthy, but heavenly. In other words, the man from heaven, who was Christ Jesus, brought the word from the ultimate spirit, his father, a truly spiritual word, one with transforming power to a people in order that they would be transformed unto formation, the ultimate formation, after the heart and mind of the Father, the creator of all things. So let's break it down. There were two men spoken of in the Bible. The first man, Adam. The second man, Christ. The first man was formed but through sin became deformed. The man, Christ, the second man from heaven, came forth with the new form that would ultimately fill the earth through a reformed man called the Christ. I am speaking about the new man, the reformed man, who is in the exact image of the second man from heaven, who is Jesus Christ, coming into full view here in the earth in this prophetic third day. As I have said, this is the third reformation, and the spiritual material that Father has to work with are those who have bowed the knee to Christ and have received the blessing and power of becoming what God had all along desired them to be. 
This is the only material that God will work with because it is the same substance of himself. The substance that is in the true believer is the very substance of God, for no doubt the substance we call Christ is very much in us who believe. Those who have rejected Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, have not received his substance, which is the Holy Spirit. Man, the old man, the deformed man, in his twisted sense of what is real, has imagined himself to be as God and that he and God are the same. No. The truth is found in Genesis where the Lord said to the man, in the day you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall die. So obviously the death spoken of here was not immediate physical death, although we understand that the man never did live a whole day, being a millennial day, a day being a thousand years. The death spoken of here was the death of the divine substance. The divine substance was the first man that was formed. This man was formed, was given a body to eat with, to work with, etc., but that body was not the man that was formed. The man that was formed was the inside man the spiritual man, the core of man, where the divine nature, the divine substance was found. The deformation or the deformation of this man was that he had died to the divine substance, or better said, the divine substance in him had died, leaving him to his soul and body, a mere creature, a beast, to walk and live in the earth. The whole purpose of the second man coming to earth was to inform the first man, that he was going to be transformed in order to be reformed into the exact image of the one who came to him from heaven. Again, this is the travailing cry of the Apostle Paul who travailed until Christ be formed in you. So all these reformations through transformations, through informations, has brought us to the day of formation, the formation of Christ, in his fullness, in his completeness, in his glorified reality. So understanding this to be the intent of the Father in sending his word to form a new man, we should look at the four aspects of the working of the word that produces the ultimate formation, Christ in you, the hope of glory, in order that we may further see what the Lord has prepared for those who love him. Now, that may sound like a lot of words, right? But if we were to just boil them down, it's simplified into this. God formed a man in the Garden of Eden. The man sinned. He became deformed. He's out of alignment with God and the purpose of God, the intention of God. For 4,000 years, the world has gone into insanity, wars, hate, killing, murder. You go down the list, it is all a result a fallen man, a breakdown of the eternal purpose of God. However, in the midst of the insanity of a fallen creation, God has been at work bringing reformations throughout the epochs of time. And 2,000 years ago, he brought the solution or the final reformation. There will be no further reformation. The reformation came into the earth. The great reformer, Jesus Christ, came into the earth. The Spirit came in the age of grace and mercy and love and kindness. So what did God do 2,000 years ago? He brought another man, a new man, a spiritual man. Christ 
did not contain the same substance as the fallen Adamic race. Christ came as the intended man that should have existed in the Garden of Eden. Out of that man, God was going to multiply and fill the earth, and the glory of God would have continued to exist. But because of man's sin, that man died. So 2,000 years ago, God, in the dispensation of the fullness of time, God sent his son, bearing the image of God himself. We know that Jesus is the express image of the Father. So we say, well, what's that all about? What does that have to do with religion? Nothing. Because we're not talking about religion. We're talking about a born-again experience in the life of human beings where divine substance is sown on the inward parts of each one, and that divine substance is being fashioned and formed once again, and there is, in the apostolic cry of the Apostle Paul's heart, a time for that substance of Christ to be fully formed in a people. And so now we're coming to the end of two millennial days, into the prophetic third day, a day of resurrection power or bringing back to life again the intended purpose or allowing for the proper formation to bring about alignment, to bring about a glory, an image, a nature belonging to God, really measuring up to the intention of his heart. That's happening in you. It's been going on for two millennial days and we are living in a prophetic third day. And so I just wanted to bring that out on a Tuesday morning so that you would consider in all that we're going to be talking about, all that's going on, that there is an inside job going on on the inside of you. Those of you who are working out your salvation, and what is that salvation? It is the producing of the divine nature. Again, salvation is not about going to heaven. The destination of every believer is to be conformed into the image of the firstborn son. So you need to know that there's an inside job. You inwardly, though the outward man perish, the inward man or the new man, the, in, um, the inward man is being renewed day by day. Now, isn't that good news? I mean, to know that in the midst of this insanity that's going on, that God is at work in you reproducing his image, his exact likeness, which is his original intent for who you and I really are. So how important is it to know that we're truly born again? It is to come into agreement. It is to come into alignment that the Spirit of God is at work in our lives, reproducing the grand purpose of the Father's heart, the creator of heaven and earth, and your creator and mine, that he wants us to become like him again. And so I believe that we're living in a day where this is going to actually be fulfilled. So that's where I wanted to begin today. And without further ado, I want to go check out and see if my brother Chris is here, calling all the way in from the West Coast. Chris King is the, uh, the overseer of Lion's Path Ministries, and he's going to be talking with us today about a number of things that are on his heart. But I wanted to just represent, I wanted to continue the flow of letting us know that if we, if we simply look to everything going on in the world alone, we have the potential to become imbalanced and to forget the eternal purpose of God that's going on inwardly at the present. So, Chris, when you're ready out there, make sure you call in and then press 1 on your dial pad. 
I'll see you're calling in, and I'll bring you directly into the broadcast. So we're going to wait for Chris King. While we're waiting, I want to talk about four aspects of the Reformation. Number one, in order to bring about, so think about this. If God, and, and Chris, you call in any time, and uh, we'll interrupt this flow. It's not, it's not a problem. But let me ask you this. If God has an intention, we're talking about God's intention, through his ability, not our intention necessarily or our, through our abilities, but if God has an intention and has the ability or the power to bring it about, and that intention is in you because of your faith in Jesus Christ and your allowance of the kingdom of God to come into your life, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? So if God put his seed in you, if God, when you were born again, put his substance in you, his Holy Spirit, that incorruptible seed that is containing the full nature of Christ, if that's all on the inside of you, okay, and it's God's intention to bring that seed to fullness, to maturity, to cause it to become what he's after, well, then all that's required is our cooperation. But it begins this way. How does he do it? Well, number one, it all begins with information. The first work of the Spirit of God is to inform the man of what God is doing. The information superhighway has gained a lot of attention over the years, and we decree a, a new highway wherein all who walk upon it shall be made new. We're talking about the highway of holiness, right? The information superhighway was designed to inform man of all Earth's spectacular achievements and accomplishments and to make the world a more graspable reality. The new superhighway of information is coming to everyone who believes and is willing to open the book and allow the Spirit to inform us of what God did, is doing, and is yet to do. Are we informed of the finished work of Christ on the cross? It is this type of information that is going to begin the second work of the Spirit, which is transformation. So it is important that you, in your Christian walk, are informed by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, of what God wants to do in your life. He wants to fully transform you. He wants to change you, right? So the second step that takes place after man is informed of what God's purpose is, and we have to get beyond just going to heaven. That is not the intention of the Father's heart, to bring us to heaven. He's to bring us into a heavenly experience in an inward quality of a divine life that has been transformed. So, number two step. Once the spiritual information comes to us through the scriptures, taught and declared by the spirit of truth, a great transformation begins within. Everything within us, <clears throat> our perceptions, our ideas, <clears throat> our thoughts, <clears throat> our knowledge, and all our reasoning faculties are going to undergo a massive paradigm shift. God is going to break down our little circles of understanding <clears throat> and enlarge himself in us so that we can have a greater view, a greater understanding of who he is and what he has accomplished in us and for us. These spiritual transformations are going to remove all limited perceptions of who and what God is and who and what we are. We will know by the illuminating spirit of Christ of the truth of our genuine identity in him, the spiritual work of transformation will produce 
a third work of the Spirit, which we call Reformation. Now, how important is it to you to realize that all of the inward perceptions that have been tainted through sin are going to be brought back into a proper alignment? We're going to perceive the things of God accurately. We're going to have more accurate knowledge of who God is and what God is doing in our lives. This is part of the transforming power. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the renewing of the conscience, the renewing of the thoughts, the renewing of the values, the perceptions, how we look at things, everything must be undergoing an inward supernatural transformation by the Holy Spirit, which will bring us to number three, a reformation. All the changing paradigms that are taking place with us have caused a new formation. So we go from information of what's going to do, then the Lord begins to transform, and now all the changing paradigms that are taking place with us have caused a new formation, a shifting, a mobilizing, a stabilizing, much like concrete that poured into a ready-made form. So the transforming work of God in us is reforming that which was deformed through the fall. Now understand that this work is of the Spirit of God, and we who have been quickened, made alive, been born again, are in absolute cooperation with this work. When, once we have been properly informed. So let me say right now that wrong information will continue to produce deformed people and a deformed church. Our Father is interested in one thing, and that is the church. At this time, his entire focus is on the formation of that which he sent his son to accomplish. More on this later. There is a reformation taking place in each and every one of God's people. And that time of final reformation, which is now in the third day and the seventh day mantle, is being completed to bring us to the final act or working of the Spirit, which is formation. So we have information, transformation, reformation, to bring us to formation. All the outlines of reformation have held. Father has been shifting and making all things new again and again. Now the people or the work complete. The form has come, and that form is Christ in a people of every language, every tribe, and every tongue called the Church of Jesus Christ. These are not people who have doctrines, titles, churches, creeds, formulas for success, who are earthly-minded and the like, but these are the very ones who have been called out from the systems of man, the deformed man, and have allowed the Spirit to accomplish his work in them. The unveiling is about to take place all over the world. Not an unveiling of a new car or a newly designed home or of some medical cure and wonder, but the unveiling of the Christ in a many-membered body called the church. We have heard it so many times, I wonder if we have lost the significance of what we have said. We are not talking about some esoterical, highly-essenced guru happening through philosophical, metaphysical, or any other ickle, but rather the genuine unveiling of the glorious bride of Christ to appear before the deformed man in the earth as the perfectly formed man from heaven. My friends, 
We are not in the first three stages of this work anymore. We have come into the final phase of the work of God in this, the seventh day, the day of completion, the day of finished work. We have come to the third day, the day of resurrection, where Christ is alive forevermore. Have you been properly informed? Have you been aggressively transformed? Have you experienced the reform? Then you are ready to display the new form, the perfect form, which is Christ in you. I believe this with all of my heart. And I, you know what's so awesome? It is so beyond my own personal ability. It is so beyond any psychology that the world could ever give. This is a complete and total work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit should be operating in apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the purpose of bringing this about. Now, I went through a long passage to get to a simple point. We are being changed, and the moment is coming when God is going to unveil his workmanship in the life of those who have cooperated with him, who have borne the image of the second man, the heavenly man, displaying a divine nature filled with the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the divine character and attributes of God himself, what could compare to this work? Now, there's an enemy that is doing everything in his power to stop this work. The major enemy of what I just talked about for 29 minutes, and I think Chris is just allowing me to finish up here, the major thing, the, the greatest enemy to the form of what God is doing organically, intrinsically within us, is religion. Religion, false religion. Only one time in scripture is the word religion used, and it's always about being unspotted from the world, taking care of widows and orphans. But man's religion that has an outward form of piety can never produce what we're talking about. And you have religion all over the world. You have churches, synagogues, mosques, whatever, temples of every kind that people go to. And they hear information. But this information we're talking about that is so important to God's purpose is set aside. And all we're given are nice sermons about how to do this, that, and the other thing which is not bad in and of itself, but without the informing of the people of God of the daily work of the Holy Spirit in their lives and God's intention to bring that out, what you have is religion. We're going to die one day. We're going to go to heaven one day. We're going to sit on a cloud and play harps one day. Uh, religion is all about outward form. It's no different than being in the Mosaic Law. Under the Mosaic Law, people had morality. They had morals. They knew that they weren't supposed to lie, cheat, steal, commit adultery. They had the Ten Commandments. You know, they, they knew how to be moral. They, there were values, human values. You know, be a nice person. You know, we partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let's be good. But none of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil could produce the life that God is really after. So you can go to church and become a morally good person, but it doesn't necessitate the transformation or the change from the inside out. Because religion will never allow for what we just talked about to even have a place in our thinking, let alone 
actually producing or becoming that image. And you know what's awesome? It is impossible for any of us in and of ourselves to make this happen. That's why the shift of our consciousness must be to the active, operative existence of the Holy Spirit in us. And you have to admit, if the Holy Spirit of God is in us, that is divine substance. That is new nature substance. And if Christ, his word, dwells in us, that is substance of a heavenly nature, of a new creation species. Christ is a totally different species than Adam. But if Christ be in us, well, that's divine substance. So now the fashioner, the the maker, the potter takes the clay, or he takes the divine substance that's in our lives, and he shapes it, and he breathes into it, and he magnifies it, and he increases it, and he expands it, and he works it, and he works it. But he is looking in this hour to bring something forth that will bring glory to him. And the thing that brings most glory to God is the workmanship, the divine nature, the new form in us, not just morality. Oh, I'm a Christian and I have moral values. The Jewish people had that under the law. God is looking for something much higher. And it has to do with a totally born again, new creation, reality manifesting in your life. Let me ask you this. Are you up to the challenge? Are you up to allowing God to do this work in you? What is it going to require? The cross. The cross is the total and complete annihilation and nullification of our human interference, our desires, our will, our paradigms, our perceptions, our values. We have to take our highest values. Let's say that you're a very moral person with extremely high values. Well, you could take that as far as you can and say, this is my moral my morality, and here are my highest values, well, that's where God begins to do his work. Because our highest moral values are still not what God is after. Well, I'm a nice person. I do good things to people. It's not, I mean, anybody could do that. People in the world could be kind and nice and do nicer things than some Christians, right? So that's not what he's after. He's after a change of substance. Will we allow him to do it? Will we set ourselves upon the path of reformation, transformation, allow ourselves to be continually informed of what God is doing, which makes us to understand why the fiery trials are what they are. All fiery trials are intended to burn up the chaff in our lives. The purpose of taking up the cross is to nullify our human interference with this purpose our fears, our worries, our concerns. The entirety of Christ's message was, don't worry about anything. Don't, be, don't let the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, unforgiveness, offenses in the heart, interfere. Don't just be one foot in and one foot out on the wayside. Everything in the Bible talks to us, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, drink. Why? Because there's something greater going on in you than what you're going to eat, drink, and put on. I mean, he knows we have to eat, drink, put on clothes in this life. And he promises to take care of that when we seek first the kingdom of heaven. But the focus, the focus must be 
what's going on in here. As one person told me long ago, it is an inside job. But there are many interferences. The world, the flesh, and the devil do all they possibly can to prevent, as though they have an intelligence, this from ever taking place. The devil will clothe himself in the unique robes of religion and declare to all people it can never happen. It's impossible. You're never going to have that kind of transformation until you go to heaven. See, the devil doesn't want this to manifest in the earth. He certainly doesn't want you to undergo an inward transformation and a change and become a brand new person, a brand new creation, because he likes you just the way you are, because he's got areas of your life all figured out. He knows your heart. He knows your mind. He knows your thoughts. He knows everything about you. And as long as you allow for your old life to be maintained, regardless of whether it's through religion or anything else, moral values, it doesn't produce the alignment. The devil does not want you and I to change. Now, if we try to change ourselves, we're going to fail miserably. God's not asking us to change ourselves. If we can change ourselves, there is no reason for Christ, the cross, the blood, the atonement, justification, sanctification, glorification. I mean, there'd be no purpose for any of that if we could change ourselves. People in philosophy and psychology and people in the world, gurus, Buddhists, whatever, they try to change themselves, and it's a miserable failure, if they would be honest, because what we're talking about is the impossible reality of a transformed life by the Spirit of the living God, who alone possesses the intelligence, the wisdom, the ability, the power to make it happen. It's God at work in us, and to deny him this right is to have a form of godliness but to deny the power and from such turn away. So today I inform you of what the word of God says about God's intention of purchasing you. The day you came to him, you have to remember you were bought with blood. You were redeemed with blood and Christ now owns you. And he bought you with the purpose of bringing about his divine nature in your life. So that's how we begin today. Now, Chris is probably out there going, okay, Pastor V, let's go. Let's go. Chris, I'm waiting for your call if you're there. Uh, Not sure if he's going to be. I think that's him right there, the 503. Let me bring Chris into the conversation and say good morning. Chris, is that you, sir? Good morning, Pastor Vincent. God bless you. Well, God bless you. I'm sorry for taking so long. I didn't see your your number there until I just kind of wrapped things up. but. Please, I, I, I was enjoying it. Uh, you know, I was about ready to just uh, sit back and listen uh, for an hour and a half. I, I, I was enjoying it. So, Well, that's awesome. So, Chris, all this work that we just talked about that God is doing is happening in the cauldron of everything else happening in the world today. And I just want to thank God for you. I want to thank God for your ministry. I want to thank God for your strength and standing for so many years against the activism of the world uh, today, uh, things you have nailed years ago, and it may be kind of a segue and a shift from what we've talked about, but I just want people to know that in the midst of everything else, this is going on, um, but you have some very important information to share with us. I want to sit back now and just allow you to speak into this moment, (laughs) share with us, because many people are interested 
in knowing what is going on and uh, bring the enlightenment, speak the truth. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris King, Lions Path Ministry. Well, thank you, Pastor Vincent. Um, You know, really, I just want to add on to the things that you've been talking about over the past few weeks. Uh, You've been talking about uh, putting on the image of Christ and how that's the most important thing in a Christian's life. It's not necessarily eternal life, even though we want to spend eternity with the Lord, but the only way to do that is to put on the image of Christ and to be conformed uh, and constantly heeding the Spirit of God in our life every day. And uh, one of the things that, um, you know, that I did want to talk about, I I do want to set the record straight thing, though, however, before we get started. Um, There was a... uh, I was listening back to our previous broadcast um, some time ago, and I had made a comment. Are you able to hear me okay? I hear you great. And, um, okay. I, All right. Yeah, we're, we're perfect. Okay. Okay. Um, I made a comment on your broadcast. Um, I, I, it must have been in October when we had it, and I want to set the record straight on it because I don't think it came out clearly, and I don't think I, I, I don't want to misinterpret anything. Um, I made a comment that said that uh, you know that America had reached its peak, and that the church in America had reached its peak, and I went on to say that uh, because the church has reached its peak, we have nothing more to do, and I want to correct that by saying that uh, what, what I meant to say by that is, is that the, the, the church at large uh, has scoured the scriptures. They have uh, made it a point to reject so much in scripture, and they've gone on to fables. Uh, they've moved past scripture into false doctrine. So much of the church has. And so what I meant by that was is that the church in America as a whole has sort of reached its peak. Uh, it's moving on to things that are not in scripture. It's not teaching even the elementary things of, uh, of Christianity. And so uh, even though the church at large is doing that, that does not mean that the remnant that God is calling out of the church uh, to be his sanctified warriors, it doesn't mean that they don't have much more to do because they do. God is going to be raising up a lot of people in these last days, especially in America. That sort of separation is coming uh, on the church. I mean a sort of separation. It's going to separate the bone from the marrow. It is going to expose so much, and it's going to bring out a holy bride for Jesus Christ. And they're going to do a lot of important work for the Lord in these last days, not just in America, but also across the world. So I just want to make that clear that when I said said those things last broadcast, I was talking about uh, mainly the church that has drifted away from the Lord. Uh, they they do not uh, they're not teaching what God is beckoning them to teach in Scripture, and so. Uh, we're going to see uh, a move of God, no doubt. I'm not sure how big this revival will be. Um, I, Like I said, um, I think that through a lot of intense persecution, we're going to see revival break out in this country as well as across the world. But mainly I'm talking about this country because that's where I live 
and and that's the uh, this is the country that God has called me to. So uh, through through persecution will come revival and will come the manifestation of the power of God. Um, I really wanted to focus in today, like I said, on adding on to some of the things that you've been talking about, putting on the nature of Christ and walking in holiness and, and being that, that remnant uh, of the last days. And um, I wanted to talk about that in relation to the seven churches of Asia that are mentioned in Revelation. Yeah. I don't want to... I don't want to get into uh, a long dissertation on each church. I don't want to get into a lot of their history. I want to talk about them from the mindset of the modern-day uh, Christian world, okay? okay. And Perfect. as we understand the seven churches of Asia in relation to our society today and the types of things that Jesus is correcting these churches on. It helps us to understand, you know, what, what Jesus is looking for out of his bride. You know, we talk about holiness and sanctification. Well, the biggest part of that is yielding our flesh so that the Spirit of God can move through us, so he can be made manifest through us on a consistent basis. And Jesus goes, yeah, Jesus goes through these, uh, I would say, predominantly five churches in particular and uh, commends some of them on certain things, but also uh, chastises them on other things. And these are the types of things that are going to hinder a believer from really reaching their full calling in Christ Jesus. And so... Let's talk about the seven churches uh, of Asia, and uh, let's move right in and begin with the church of Ephesus. The church of Ephesus is one of the most interesting churches. Um, I call it the church of hate, believe it or not. That's what I call it. I call it the church of hate, and the reason why I call it that is because that's what Jesus says these people are. He says that I know your works and your labor, your patience, how you can't bear them that are evil, and you have tried them which say they are apostles but are not and have found them liars. And you have borne, you have had patience, and you have endured, you have not fainted. He even goes on to say later on, after he corrects them, he says, but you have this, he says, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So when we read about the church of Ephesus, what we're reading is, is a church that has a lot of hate towards the right things, towards false doctrine and false teachers. There's nothing wrong with this, and Jesus never says that there's anything wrong with this. But the problem is, is that this church in Ephesus has left their first works. They have left their first love, and this is, an important, uh, this is an important correction because when we talk about um, the first love, uh, what we're talking about is, you know, those two commandments that Jesus talks about, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, but the second is like it, loving your neighbor as yourself. But your neighbor is not just your church buddy. Your neighbor is also your enemy. Like in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48, 
He says, you have heard it been said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say unto you, love your enemies and bless them that curse you and do good to them that hate you and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be children of your Father which is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the publicans do the same? And if you salute your brothers only, what are you, what are you doing more than others? Do not even publicans do so. So be therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. And so the church of Ephesus emphasizes a lot of hate on false doctrine and false apostles. We need to be careful of this, especially in these days, because we're going to be seeing a lot of false, you know, a lot of false prophets and and false teachers arising, we're even seeing it now. And it's very easy for us to start uh, taking an aggressive stance against these people and constantly warring against false doctrine instead of doing the first works as well. Like I said, Jesus never, ever criticizes them for having that hate. There's nothing wrong with hate as long as it's channeled correctly. And he's not chastising them for their hate. What he's saying is, is you've left the first works undone in the process. You've forgotten about the basic things. You've forgotten the basics of practical ministry. You've forgotten how to love your enemies and pray for them as well. And so we can really learn a lot from the church of Ephesus because as we move further and further in this country into a downward spiral, we can also start applying this hate. We can also say that we're starting to see that hate increase between the right wing and the left wing. And we're starting to see that animosity arise between those two camps. And it's very important for Christians to also understand, you know, that, Hating, you know, hating false doctrine or hating evil, hating abortion, those kinds of things, hating sexual deviancy, there's nothing wrong with that. But we have to make sure to channel it appropriately, that we always have at front and center in our hearts that the Lord, you know, his, his whole goal, the whole point of him dying and rising again is to save souls. And yes, that includes those on the left wing. That includes those who are guilty of killing their children. That includes those that are full of a spirit of homosexuality and transgenderism. It includes those people. And so the problem that I see happening, and I know that people who are listening right now, you've seen it, you've seen it on social media, And you know that the animosity is kicking in. You know that Christians are becoming, many Christian conservatives are becoming very aggressive, very hateful, and calling, some of them calling for violent uprising. And this is the kind of thing that's going to continue to happen as the country moves further and further into degradation. So it's very important that we channel that hate appropriately. Like I said, Nothing wrong with hating things that are evil, but, you know, people, we need to understand, people are vexed 
by demonic spirits. They're vexed by the principalities and the powers of darkness. So they need to be saved just as you and I have been saved. So we need to start looking at things like that more carefully. So Ephesus, the church of hate, okay? And, and I think it's a good word for it. I know it sounds a little bit harsh, but the reality is, is that that's what they were. And, and they were very good at countering false doctrine. Do you have anything you want to add to that, Pastor? The, I think you gave an excellent uh, presentation on that. And the only thing I hear in my spirit wrapping it up is here is the patience of the saints so that we don't get prematurely engaged. Our time when our obedience is complete, then we will revenge all disobedience. So well said. I mean, a beautiful balance. That's right. Yeah, there are day of vengeance will come, but it's not until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. And it's very important for people to understand that because, like I said, there's there's even, I mean, I'm telling you, folks, there's even, there's even so-called prophets in the charismatic church right now that are literally trying to summon Donald Trump back into office in a coup. That's what they're trying to do right now. I've heard them with my own, my own ears, okay? And as much as we'd all like, as much as we'd all like, you know, our favorite president to be in office, uh, he is not in office, and it's not going to happen. Um, you know, 2024, maybe. Uh, I still contend that you will never see Donald Trump in the White House again. Uh, that's just a personal opinion of mine. That is not a word from God. Um, but nevertheless, you know, we cannot be trying to violently overthrow uh, in, you know, some sort of, you know, like we're, we're zealots of the new church or something like that. You know, uh, the, the Jewish people did that back in Jesus' day. They called them zealots or sicarios, and that's what they would do. They would uh, cause trouble for the Roman Empire. They would kill Roman soldiers. They would break down their shrines and their buildings, and they would cause trouble. And when they were caught, they were severely punished. And you notice that Jesus Christ never once did he ever command his disciples to rise up in a, in a, in a violent overthrow of the Roman Empire, not one time. Not one time. And dare I say that the Roman Empire was a little bit more brutal than the American Empire. Would you not agree? I would agree. From I what would I've read. They were. Yeah, exactly. Now, that doesn't mean that the American Empire of 20 or 30 years from now might not be just as bad, but we don't know. But the point is, is that the Roman Empire was very brutal. And so we need to be careful about these things. You know, even Jesus warned Peter after he cut off the uh, temple guardsman's ear. He said, you know, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. You know, he was very specific with Peter about that. And he had to work with Peter about his hot temper and about his his need to, you know, protect the ministry, so to speak, with violent revolution. You know, he had to teach Peter these things, and later on after he resurrected, he had a little chat with Peter about how he would die. And, uh, you know, it was sort of revealing, actually. And so basically, you know, Peter had to learn how to put down his sword and submit to persecution. And that's going to be a tough, tough thing for Christians to swallow in these last days because we want to get things done. You know, we, we, we want to fight, you know, for our freedom. 
So, but we just need to learn how to fight through the word of God and through the word of his power. And that is um, a spirit, Chris. Is it that, that, that's a spirit of revolution because the seeds of revolution were planted in this ground in 1776. And the constitution that we live under is if there's ever a rotten government, then get them out of the way, yes. fire them, you know, unshackle yourself. Yeah. So all of that information is there. And the real revolution you're talking about is a spiritual revolution. Right. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. It, it, it is a spiritual revolution. It's not, uh, it's not going to come by way of an AR-15. Uh, it's, it's not going to come by way of bullets. Um, you know, if, if, if a Christian wants to go down that road, then, it, then you know, they're going to receive their reward. Uh, they're going to be thrown in prison uh, and, uh, or possibly killed, depending on how far they go. And everything that God wanted to do in their life is going gonna, is gonna to come to nothing because they, you know, they have decided to go a different road. They've been disobedient to God, and they wanted to take action themselves. So are you saying in any in anything you're saying, are you saying that Christians should passively uh, conform and participate in what society is demanding? Um, I don't think uh, it's no. I mean, look, if you know, let's just take vaccine mandates, for example, since that's the, you know, the elephant in the room here. Um, yeah. You know, vaccine mandates. Uh, look, if you don't want uh, to get to get a to get the jab, uh, you shouldn't have to get the jab. Uh, that's that's not the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Um, you know, that that kind of thing is is your own decision. Uh, it should not be government's decision. Um, obviously, there are going to be people, uh, you know, in the church who you know, are working in areas or spheres of influence that are going to have to get vaccinated in order to continue to get paid or to do what they do in the world. And that's fine. We shouldn't judge them for that. Um, but if you don't want to get vaccinated, that's your prerogative. And you shouldn't, you know, you don't need to submit to that kind of stuff. Um, but there's a difference with taking offensive action. Okay. When we take offensive action, we're talking about violent revolution. And that is not from the Spirit of God. That is not what God is calling his church to. God is calling his church uh, to be uh, workers uh, of his power and to demonstrate the power of his Holy Spirit, which we're not doing for the most part in America. And that is partially why people are resorting to the things that they're resorting to because we've lost the spirit of God. We no longer teach on him. We no longer preach on the gifts of the spirit. At least the majority of the church doesn't. Uh, in fact, there's a, uh, a, a healthy amount of the church that actually rejects the gifts of the spirit. They're called cessationists and that they just reject it outright. And so, you know, we're, we're almost pinning ourselves and trapping ourselves into physical acts uh, of revolution instead of spiritual acts of re revolution because nobody operates in the spirit anymore. Nobody knows sure. how, you know, and that's, uh, that's unfortunate. But the good news is, the good news is that God is going to bring that sort of separation into the church, and he is going to call out 
you know, his faithful. You know, he's going to separate the wheat from the chaff, so to speak. And he is going to start calling out people to minister the word of God with power and authority. He is going to start raising up these apostles and prophets and evangelists, teachers and pastors, and they are going to move in great authority for him. And this will happen. That's not a pipe dream. That is something that is going to happen. I just don't know what to, you know, to what level. You know, when we talk about a major revival, well, you know, that might be, you know, major to some people is is minor to others. So, you know, do I think all of America is going to be saved? Of course not. Um, but we will have a uh, a large spiritual revolution uh, in the country, uh, with or without Donald Trump in office. That that's irrelevant. His presidency is irrelevant. Uh, it has nothing to do with uh, with God's will or 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 you know the the spirit of God moving. Um, you know he whether he is president or whether he's not, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, the Lord's going to have His way with His church, and that is the most important thing. He is looking for a bride without spot or wrinkle, and He's going to start scouring through the cities and through the towns and through the rural areas, and he's going to start looking for these people. That's what he's doing, and he's doing it right now, dare I say. And he, yeah, you're right, and he will allow for people to go into their Goshens, to go into their Ark, to go into their cities of refuge. There should be a foreknowledge of what is coming because if we choose not to do what the government demands, everybody, you have to get vaccinated. Well, you know, the apostles said, well, you, you know, whatever you think is right, but it's better for us to obey God than you. And the information we have, we right. don't believe that we need to put this in our body. So um, the world right. creates a scenario of you can't buy or sell then if you're not going to cooperate with us. So God would allow for people to begin to exit Babylon, so to speak, and get into, you know, their place of going through this, just getting out of the way at a time where right. for three and a half years, they're not going to be able to do anything anyways except the exploits maybe within the body. I I'm, would imagine that's how it works, but there's an allowance for that, for people to come out, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. And and so, you know, that's one of the things that, uh, yeah, I mean, what God is doing is is he's really, just like, just like Jesus came to the house of Israel, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, you know, the Lord is coming to the lost sheep of the house of his church, <laughs> if, if you can believe it. You know, he I do. shouldn't have to come. He, he shouldn't have to come for those people. They should already be mature. We should already be walking in the spirit, okay, but we're not. We're lost, okay? And so he's coming to us because he needs to clean his bride up. Now, granted, there will be people that, you know, uh, the, some of the faithful in the church will be able to win lost souls from, you know, from this other side of the aisle, but the problem is, is that many people are noticing that the left wing, if we want to say that, and the right wing, uh, we're getting to a point where the lines of communication are starting to break. You know, there, there's not much in the way of communication anymore. There's a lot of vitriol and, and there's a lot of uh, hatred. Um, but there's not a lot of communication anymore, and that's only going to become worse and worse. You know, so, you know, winning the lost 
from, you know, the left wing of society is going to become, you know, fewer and fewer as the years go by because so many people are so brainwashed into the spirit of Antichrist. And I don't, I'm not talking about the actual Antichrist. I'm just talking about an Antichrist spirit that is flowing through this country. Uh, You know, they're just becoming more and more brainwashed and more disconnected from righteousness. So it's going to be very difficult, very difficult for Christians to witness the gospel. It's still possible, but this is why it's so important for Christians to be yielding to the Spirit of God in their life every day, walking in obedience to the Lord. You know, that there's a difference. You know, I, I, I like to use the term walking in obedience because it sounds more accountable. You know, we have to walk in obedience to the Lord in our lives. And as we do that, the Lord is going to use, you know, he's going to use us. He's going to allow those spiritual gifts to start flowing because that's really what's going to, what's going to win, you know, these lost souls over when you speak a word of prophecy to them or, you know, uh, you know, the hidden or secret things in their life that you're exposing. But at the same time, you're bringing encouragement into their life in a, in a sense of uh, restoration. You know, those are the things that win lost souls over. <clears throat> it's not just about, uh, you know, it's not just about, preaching the basic gospel. We also need to be utilizing the spiritual gifts of God. That's what they're there for. Uh, you know, they, Jesus would not have sent us the Spirit. Jesus wouldn't have sent us the Spirit uh, with his gifts accompanying if, if it wasn't necessary. You know, there would be no reason for it. And so it is important to utilize the spiritual, or to, I should say, to allow the Spirit of God to manifest his gifts through us. And, uh, you know, we need to start seeing this. We need to start seeing demons being cast out again. This should be a regular thing. You know, de- you know casting spirits out is not difficult. Uh, it-, it should be a very, very uh, normal thing for Christians to be doing, and it's not. Uh, and that's a problem because there's a lot. I mean, you want to talk about in- you want to talk about seeing the miracles of God. You want to talk about seeing chains broken immediately. Just cast five spirits out of somebody and watch the- watch them set free immediately. I mean, that yeah. that is the miracles of God right there. You can't do that just by you know just by giving a simple salvation message. They some people still need to be delivered from actual spirits, from demonic spirits. And there's so many. There's probably more than you real, you know, than most people realize. And so we need to get back to the basics of spiritual ministry. And uh, you know, you know, a lot of these churches, even the seven churches of Asia, you know, people in those churches knew how to do that. You know, the the Bible doesn't talk much about it, uh, but I guarantee you that many of these people in those churches knew how to operate in spiritual gifts and were casting out demons all the time. So, you know, we've got a lot of catching up to do in the American church, a lot of catching up. 
All right. Well, I, you know, we could just branch out on this and go on forever and ever because there's so much conversation yeah. that keeps branching out of it. I mean, uh, but let's move on to the next church that you have in mind. And I think we, <laughs> uh, so we, have, yeah. we, we can go a little bit deeper, but I, I did just a final thought, a couple of things about what you're saying. Then let's move on. Um, if you're willing to take a stand for God and do what is right, and you do that out of love for God and obedience, you may pay a price. I mean, the apostles were thrown into prison. They were killed persecution hits when you do the right thing. So uh, be prepared to, you know, suffer whatever consequences for doing what is right, not necessarily doing against wrongfully. Uh, And the next thing is simply, I mean, the infiltration of demonic spirits into the church is huge. And yet much of it is going uncontested because there's no discernment, which is another gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, You know, so powerful need for the operation, the active operation of the Holy Spirit, not just so we could have chill bumps swing from chandeliers, but that the church may be maintained through the gifts of the Spirit, correct? That's right. Amen. Exactly. Amen. Exactly. All right. All right. Let's and, move and, on. You know, yeah. Well, let me, let me just add on one more thing. Look, Absolutely. you know, concerning, concerning um, obedience to God versus obedience to government, here's the thing. You know, the, the apostles were disobedient to government. That's why they were thrown in prison, okay? But the difference is is that they weren't taking swords out and killing Roman soldiers. You see what right. I'm saying? There was no such thing as a violent overthrow. That's what I'm talking about. So it's okay to disobey government, especially when it stands in the way of the word of God. We obey the word of God. We don't, you know, and if those two things come into conflict with each other, then of course we obey the word of God. But what God is saying is, is we don't, we don't violently overthrow governments. That's not our role as Christians. It never has been. Uh, even from the foundation of Christianity, it never has been. And, um, and so we just need to, like I said, we want to, be, we want to be ready to go to be used for the master's work. That's what we want. We don't need these other things getting in our way. We don't need jail time for things that we shouldn't have done anyway. Uh, we, we, need, we need people that are going to be watchful for the Lord and carry out his will. Um, the next church we're going to talk about, um, I don't know. Um, I want to skip over Smyrna. Uh, I'm going to do Smyrna uh, last with uh, Philadelphia. I want to talk about the church in Pergamos. Um, I call this church the Church of Toleration, okay? The Church of uh, Toleration, if you will. Um, The Church of Pergamos is interesting. Uh, Let me see if I can find it here in the scripture. Um, It says here that um, it says uh, in verse, uh, it's chapter 2, verse uh, 13, He says, I know thy works and where you dwell, even where Satan's seat is. That's important to remember. And you hold fast my name, and you did not deny it, and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, uh, my faithful witness, uh, or my faithful martyr, who was killed among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against you, because you have there some that hold to the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel and eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. 
And you also have them that hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Um, Very important uh, church. Uh, This church is reminiscent of a church that teaches grace without obedience. Let me say that again. They teach grace without obedience. They are the church of toleration, okay? So they teach grace without obedience and salvation without holiness. This is a common, common doctrine throughout the entire American church. Now, I am not saying that every church on the street corner is preaching this, but I'm telling you that massive amounts of churches across America are preaching this type of message. Constant grace, constant salvation, but no accountability in the obedience or holiness departments. And I think it's interesting to point out that in this particular Pergamos, it says this was in the place where Satan's seat is. Now think about that for a minute. This is the city where Satan's seat is, and it's interesting to note that the problems that this church is having is not with black magic or sorcery being taught, but it's a tolerance to sin. Think about that for a minute. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in the place where Satan is seated, because that's what Jesus says, in the place where Satan himself is seated, it's not black magic or sorcery, or any types of dark arts, that's not, the, that's not the issue, tolerance to sin. So that shows you something right there about how powerful that doctrine is and how much Satan uses it, because it's effective. He knows it's effective, and that's why it affects most of the American church, because he knows it's a win-win. It's easy. See, if he goes in trying to teach black magic or something else into a church, well, he's going to get escorted right out. But my goodness, he starts teaching a tolerance to sin here a little, there a little, you know, talking on grace and and, and, uh, salvation and never mentioning anything about obedience or holiness, you see. He can deceive more souls that way. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. the church of Pergamos, the church of toleration, and this is one of those things, like I, I, I may not have mentioned this before, but one of the things we need to understand about all seven churches of Asia, there's a reason why they're in the book of Revelation. It's not necessarily because they go in a chronological order, although some people may have some theories on that. I believe they're in the book of Revelation because it signifies the fullness of what the church will become in the last days, meaning that you can apply every single believer in the world into one of these churches. Every single believer fits into one of these seven churches of Asia, every believer. And that's why it's in the book of Revelation, because it's a warning. It's Jesus warning us about the sins that so easily beset the church. Okay. And that's why he's talking about this stuff. So, The Church of Pergamos is the Church of Toleration, and Lord knows we have seen a lot of tolerance to sin within the American church. That is one of the biggest 
crimes against the against the spirit of God and Jesus Christ in the church is the is the tolerance to sin. The next yeah, church how, five, well wait well, oh, well, well, wait <laughs> okay so the power of sin and, and so if you're the devil and you're living in that environment and you're a Christian church he's very much aware he has intelligence that that ecclesia is there so the way that he's going to undermine that church is by slipping in. Uh, these doctrines of the Nicolaitans, you know, the, the, the rulership or the victory over the people kind of thing and dominating the people. Right. And so he's going to use his intelligence to undermine the very purpose of their power and strength, which was intended um, by getting them into this toleration of sin, which he right. affected in the Garden of Eden and has been using sin since the beginning of time to overcome the purposes of God, and he's doing it in that church as well. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, very good. Very yeah. good. And I think it's interesting, you know, like I said, that uh, this is the one place where it says, it's the one city where Jesus says Satan's seed is. Okay. So I think it's interesting yeah. that the, the, one, the one sin that this church is really, really struggling with is teaching grace without obedience and salvation without holiness. It's a toleration. It's a toleration of sin. No repentance. And, uh, and uh, you know, uh, a lot of people ask, uh, you know, a lot of people have questions about the doctrine of Balaam. You know, what does that mean? You know, uh, ca- well, it's a, like he said, uh, casting a stumbling block before the children of Israel, teaching them how to, um, you know, how to engage in fornication and things like that. And that's exactly, you know, obviously there were some people uh, in the church of Pergamos who were teaching this type of thing. Uh, obviously they were not literally quoting from uh, the Old Testament and teaching this, but they were subtly introducing false doctrines of grace that caused the believers of this church to believe that it was okay for them to live in fornication. And so that's what Jesus is referring to. And the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, uh, most most theologians agree that uh, they were, uh, that the Nicolaitans preached uh, grace without holiness. Um, That was, that's kind of the consensus there. So, um, and that's how they conquer the, the people. <clears throat> yes, exactly, exactly. Okay. The next church is is uh, the Church of Thyatira, and the Church of Thyatira is interesting. Um, I call it the Church of Abominations, and I think that the Church of Thyatira probably probably would not have been understood a whole lot. I would say fifty years ago, but. Today, we can see what this church is all about. Um, If we read the text in verse 20, it says, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because you suffer that woman Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Um, Jesus says he gave her space to repent. Uh, She repented not. And this is one of the only churches where he gets very, very harsh. 
and he begins to tell them that he's going to cast her into a sick bed and then that commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent. And he even says, I'll kill her children with death. So this hmm. is serious stuff. Hmm. <laughs> now, the only, the only churches that we can see, or I should say the only people within the church that actually fit this description that I have ever seen, now, there may be actually women or men in churches who actually teach, you know, you know, churches to commit fornication. I don't know. I've never seen that before. But what I have seen is the modern-day equivalent of this church, which are people who teach that homosexuality and transgenderism should be embraced. It's a church of depravity. That is the closest thing that I have ever seen to the church of Thyatira in the modern-day church. And we've been seeing a lot more of that in America. We've been seeing Episcopalian, you know, ministers getting up, you know, lesbians, uh, you know, behind the pulpit saying, you know, teaching their congregation that homosexuality is acceptable in the eyes of God. I just heard the other day about some, I, I don't know if, I think it was, must have been an Episcopalian, maybe a Catholic, that said that, that homosexuality is a gift from God. That's what hmm. he's teaching. To his congregation wow. okay and we're okay. yeah i mean it sounds crazy it sounds unbelievable that that could actually happen but it is it is in fact happening in the church and so that's the closest thing that i have seen um you know about the church in in, in thyatira at least in in modern day form okay and so we're seeing that as this nation becomes more and more sexually depraved uh we're starting to see you know, these so-called ministers rise up. They're not ministers at all. They're children of the devil, but they're rising up in the church behind the pulpits and, you know, preaching that homosexuality, bisexuality, transgenderism is, is okay. It's a gift from God. They were born that way, so we need to embrace them. So um, I will say this, that um, I believe in the last days, um, that uh, just like that sort of separation is coming over the church, I believe the Lord himself will visit these people and execute his judgment. And we're going to see stuff like that. <clears throat> we're not just going to see moves of God for the good. We're also going to see moves of God for his judgment as well. Amen. Killing our children. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, kill, killing right. our children with death. So if it's a church of abomination, the two things in Scripture that God says he hates that are an abomination – our homosexuality, all the sexual perverseness, and the shedding of innocent blood. And it's interesting, he's going to kill her children with death. And maybe this is because yeah. the church tolerates abortion. <laughs> now, that's, a, that's some good insight. I never thought about that. Yes, and there are churches, just like who teach homosexual behavior is, is uh, acceptable. They also teach that abortion is also just, that it's, it's lawful in the eyes of God. And I have heard that too, and I just can't, I can't believe that people teach that, but it is becoming uh, a pattern in this country. Um, next up is the Church of Sardis. I call this the Church of Faithlessness. 
And it's very important, you know, the Church of Sardis is interesting because Jesus says to them, I know your works, that you have a name, that you live, but you are dead. Okay, now <laughs> I, I want you to think about that for a minute. I know your works, that you have a name, that you live, but you are dead. Okay, so they have a reputation of being alive, but Jesus flat out says that they are dead. And he says, be watchful and strengthen the things that remain, that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. He says something very interesting in uh, chapter 3, verse 3. He says, remember, therefore, how you have received and heard and hold fast and repent. This church of faithlessness is a church that I liken to, I liken them to being like the cessationists of today. They have a reputation of being alive, but inwardly they are dead. They have no life living within them because they reject the power and the spirit of God. They lack faith. And uh, they're in a, you know, the, uh, the Greek word here for dead, it says, but, but you are dead. The Greek word there uh, actually means ineffective, vain, and useless. That's what that means. Wow. And I think it's interesting. Yeah. And I think it's interesting in James chapter 2, verses 17 through 20, he says, even so faith, if it has not works, is dead, being alone. Yes, a man may say, you have faith and or you have faith and I have works show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works you believe that there is one god you do well even the devils also believe and tremble but will you know o vain man that faith without works is dead and that's what this church is guilty of they don't have works And the works we're talking about here is the works of the Holy Spirit. They don't yield to the power of God in their life because they reject it. They're the church of faithlessness. Again, they have a reputation of being alive. Inwardly, they are dead. Okay? And we're seeing a big move of this type of church across America. You know, the the Reformed Church... Is, is a big church. Uh, it's gaining a lot of traction because the Reformed Church preaches uh, very heavily, emphasizes the Word of God, and, and you know, with, in all fairness, uh, preaches a lot of holiness. Uh, but the problem with a lot of Calvinist churches is that they reject the power of God at all levels. They reject the casting out of demons, they reject miracles, they reject prophecy, they reject any move of the Holy Spirit. And this is why Jesus is saying, you have a reputation of being alive, you know, because you preach scripture, but in reality, you're actually dead. So what Jesus is cautioning this church to do is to remember how you have received and heard the gospel how you have received and heard the word and hold fast and repent. So he's calling this church, this dead church, to remember what the word of God says. They like to think that they are masters of the word of God. Well, get into the word of God and read what it says about being alive. 
get into the Word of God and read what it says about the salvation of souls and about the spiritual gifts of the Lord. You know, the, we, we've really got to get this nailed down. And this is one of these churches that uh, is making a lot of headway in the American, I should say, in the American society because it has what they would consider a very balanced view of Scripture. Uh, there's not a lot of nonsense going on in false doctrine. Um, they, they stick to mainly Scripture. The problem is, is that if they stuck to Scripture, then they would also recognize that the spiritual gifts have never ceased. They are always here until the coming of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And, you know, the unique thing about this church, and I'm sure you're going to speak into it, is that the, the very thing they thought they had, which was their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, Salvation, was actually stolen from them because of the condition of their lives. And this gets yes. into a doctrine of once saved, always saved. And I don't know if you want to go there or not. Right. But this is cutting deep right now, Chris. I feel in the spirit that this message, and this was what was intended by the Spirit of God in this message to all believers, this is what cuts deep. You know, because they have robes, it's covering their nakedness, but they're, 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 what's happening to these people is that they're going to become naked because what they've been given, they didn't use to do what needed to be done, and they didn't work something out. And this is a very powerful – go ahead and speak into that. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it does say in, uh, in verse 5, it says, and I will not blot his name out of my book of life. Well, what does that mean? You know, what does blot mean? Well, that means your name was written in there at one time, and God blotted it out. So, you know, this once saved, always saved doctrine, which ironically Calvinists hold to, uh, is not accurate. And uh, this is who, you know, this is really who the Lord is speaking to. And, and again, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm sure there's um, some Calvinists out there that are, are continuationists. They believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but very few do. And uh, they're going to have to answer for this kind of stuff. They're going to have to give an account for why uh, they taught that the Spirit of God uh, is, is not working today. And they're going to have to give an account for this stuff before Jesus, and it's probably not going to be pretty. It really isn't. And so this is a warning, you know, to people that are hearing this, and, uh, you know, they think that they can skirt by by preaching against the Holy Spirit and his work. You can't. Uh, Jesus makes it very clear that you might think you're living, but really you're dead. Uh, let's talk about the church of Laodicea. I'm going to skip over Philadelphia because I want to talk about Philadelphia and Smyrna uh, at the last part because I have some things I want to share about those churches. Laodicea um, I refer to as the church of apathy. The Church of Apathy. And it's really quite, uh, it, it, you know, the Church of Laodicea is probably the most uh, simple church out of the seven to figure out. Um, Jesus makes it very clear that they are lukewarm. Um, they don't need anything. They say, I am rich and increased with goods. I have need of nothing. And he counsels them saying that, no, in fact, you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And he says, something interesting. He says, I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you may be rich. And, and that's, 
you know, whenever we hear, you know, tried in the fire, that means, you know, that means going through testing for Jesus. That means going through the fire, the persecution, so your robes can be made white. And, um, you know, it's very, you know, this is also, dare I say, one of the most common uh, believers that you will find in the church of God, especially in America, is the apathetic believer. There's no doubt about it. Um, and unfortunately, <clears throat> there is a, a lot of uh, people that are going to get a wake-up call uh, when Jesus comes back. Um, I'm reminded of Matthew 25, uh, verses 24 through 30, uh, Jesus says, he's telling, the, uh, he's telling a parable about the talents. He says, then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you had not strawed. And I was afraid, and I went and I hid my talent in the earth. And there, you know, and so he says, there, behold, there is that that is yours. And the Lord answered him and said unto him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reaped where I sowed not, and I gather where I have not strawed. You should have therefore put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received my own with interest. Take therefore the talent from him and give it unto him that has ten talents. For unto everyone that has shall be given and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not, it shall be taken away, even that which he has. Cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, does that sound like, does that sound like you're on your way to heaven? I mean, honestly. No. Does that sound no. like that slothful servant, that church of apathy is on their way to heaven? No, it does not. It does not. And there are so many people that, you know, that when Jesus is talking about talents, that he's talking about money here. He's not talking about talents like, uh, uh, you know, like Singer, somebody has yeah, talent. He's, yeah, he's, he's talking about money. And what that represents is, is that it represents our calling. Every person on the planet has a call from God right. on their life. It I don't care what a counselor tells you. And... Uh, Every person has a talent, and uh, the reality is, is that some people are given one talent, some people are given five, and others are given ten. Some people are given more talents, and the reality is, is that even that one person who only had one talent and didn't do anything with it, God doesn't have any more mercy on them because they only had one talent and didn't have ten. He has no more mercy on them. He expects you He's to produce right something. I hear somebody talking. Yeah, that's uh, Patricia Joy is upstairs. We're hearing her voice. She's talking to someone that's listening to the broadcast, and she's encouraging them to call in. So at some point, we'll go ahead and we'll get into that. Uh, but again, the Church of Laodicea, I agree. It is you know, the church that really, uh, all of them do, but this one really exposes a lot of uh, the corruption, the carnal nature, the, you know, the attitude of the church today and why it's become so ineffective um, because it does, we have so much, obviously. And um, right. excellent. 
Absolute excellent. Well, now, go ahead, because it's 1035. We're going to start kind of moving towards a, uh, a close, but let's move forward with what you have. We got to hear the end of this. This is good. Yes. Well, let's let's talk about the Church of Philadelphia and Smyrna. Um, I don't like uh, to talk a whole lot about the Church of um, of Philadelphia. Um, one of the reasons why is because I don't want people false hopes. Uh, that's not what I'm about. But the reality is is that uh, in Luke 21:36, as well as Revelation 3:10, uh, we do see some interesting things about uh, uh, people in the last days um, that will be divinely protected and most likely uh, gathered out of here um, before the tribulation. Um, it says here in Luke 21:36, it says, "Watch ye therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man." Jesus is talking to his disciples about the end of days and about the tribulation period, and then he says this. I want to make it clear, though, that uh, this is a prayer. This is not a promise from God. This is a prayer. So he says that you may be accounted worthy to escape. This is why I don't like to talk about this much, because I don't want to give people this, this sense of hope that, uh, that they're going to be caught up before a tribulation period. The Church of Philadelphia says here very clearly that because you have kept the word of my patience, I will also keep you from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon the whole world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Now, remember that the, the prophecies to the churches, the seven churches, uh, are twofold. They are real churches where real prophecies apl uh, applied to them back in the day, but they are also prophetic in that they speak to a spiritual church in the future. And Jesus is making it very clear that this particular Philadelphia church will be kept from the hour of temptation that will come upon the whole world. So I think it's an interesting language that Jesus uses. So um, one of the things that we need to talk about is, is this. Um, you know, God is looking for his holy bride, and he's going to start moving through uh, America and the rest of the world to search these people out. And, um, you know, ultimately, Jesus will be the judge of who he decides who's part of this Philadelphia church. You and I do not have a say in it. And uh, if he decides that some of us are going to be left here to endure for whatever reason, uh, then we become part of that Smyrna church. They are called specifically to go through tribulation for Christ and to be faithful unto death. Uh, those who are not part of the Philadelphia church will be called to go through the Great Tribulation. My guess is that that will probably be the majority of the church that will be going through the Tribulation. Um, we just have a lot, like I said, there's so many things going on here with the, seven, or with the other five churches and how many believers, uh, you know, are fitting in to these other five churches that there's not really going to be a time that they're going to come out of that and repent and serve God wholly with their heart. Um, it's just the way it is. You know, Jesus so said, pattern, uh, 
Yeah, Chris, I'm sorry for the uh, sorry for the interjection, but as a pattern, um, mm-hmm. when I when I when, when we look at this, the escape, we know that Jesus said, "Like a snare, it shall come upon the whole earth, and they will not escape." So in right. 70 A.D., for example, when the Roman armies came in and they destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, took it over, and all that, uh, we know that there were those who escaped, and their escape was into the mountains of Judea. They fled into the wilderness. Um, the scriptures tell us that in the last days there'll be a woman that goes into the wilderness for three and a half years. So we're not necessarily saying that there's a pre-tribulation rapture necessarily that demands the escapism, that the escaping yeah, may be uh, very – right. go ahead, please. Okay. Yeah, it could. It could be. Um, my, uh, it, it does um, – <clears throat> I'm not really sure about that. Uh, you, you know, okay. like I said, it could be a toss, it could be a toss up between the two, um, but we will see. You know, we will yeah. see. This is why I don't. This, yeah, this is why I don't like talking about it much because I don't like to put thoughts in people's head that make them think that oh, you know, what well, there's a chance I'm going to be raptured. No, uh, you know, most the fact is is that the majority of the church is actually guilty of some things. That's the problem. The majority, especially of the American church, is guilty of some type of sin. They are not walking right before God. And the Great Tribulation period is going to give a chance for, dare I say, Jesus' wayward bride uh, to, to make things right. He's going to give them a choice to take the mark of the beast or submit to the persecution for the testimony of Jesus. That's what it's all about. It's about giving that wayward bride of his a a second chance at redemption and being able to prove herself through trial. And this is not uh, an unbiblical uh, statement. Uh, God tries the hearts of his people. God is a tester of men. Uh, that's all through Scripture. And so, you know, this is what's going to happen. You're either going to be a part of that Smyrna church or you're going to be a part of that church of Philadelphia. And unfortunately, there's going to be a lot more in the Smyrna than there will be Philadelphia. I believe Philadelphia will be a very small church. Um, you know, I, and again, only God knows because he's going to choose. He's going to choose who's going to be part of that, you know, uh, I should say, accounted worthy to escape all those things. And like I said, it may not be a rapture. You know, you, you, you may have hit the nail on the head. It may be some type of divine protection while in the world. Um, I'm not sure where that would be, but... Uh, um, you know, it's easy. Yeah, it could be. It could be. <laughs> I, hope, I hope you have lots of water and food, um, but uh, it could be there. And so anyway, so that's what I wanted to talk about today. I want people to take a, a, you know, a good look at those churches, evaluate your life, just like I'm evaluating mine. One of the things that I, one of the things I looked at was uh, the Ephesus, the church of hate. That is one that convicted me as a person because I'm a person that is very furious against false doctrine and false prophets and false, you know, pretty much everything that's false in the church. I'm, I'm against it. I have an intense hatred towards it. And uh, so this convicted me in that I need to remember the first works and, and the first love. I need to remember to love my enemies and to also love those in the church who are leading 
leading the church astray. Even though I would rather, uh, you know, bop them over the head, uh, we need to, you know, chastise them or correct them in love. And so think of these churches. If you're listening today, which ones apply to you? Which one, you know, how, what can you do to become more sanctified in Christ Jesus? Amen. Chris King, I have not heard a better presentation. Absolutely well said, well done. And I don't know, my friend, you could, you could wake up from a dead sleep and preach a better sermon. So I, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't think that's true, man. You did an outstanding job. And, uh, you know, this is going to go all over the world. God bless you and your ministry. Uh, don't be a stranger. You're welcome here. I think people are going to absolutely love, uh, you know, mulling over, digesting, chewing on what was just shared. I think it's super important. And uh, if we had more time, we'd open up the lines. We just don't. Um, so we're going to move forward. Chris, Lion's Path, God bless you, my brother. Love you. Appreciate you. All right. God bless you. All right. Take care. Amen. All right. That's it. Wow. What a great presentation. I thought that was well done. Uh, one thing I do want to give a 30 seconds to, which demands more than that, is that Jody Keene is uh, writing us from Sarasota, Florida. Uh, my Christian brother's family are, are fam- my brother's family are very sick. So her Christian brother's family are very sick from COVID bioweapon attack. Uh, they refuse the shot, but very sick. Pray for them. So we will lift up Jody's family who love the Lord. who are standing in the gap in Jesus' name. We pray you, Lord God, that you would deliver them from the snare of the fowler and that you would bring them into a healthy place in Yeshua's name. We thank you for the blood of the Lamb that does all of that work, and we do trust and believe in that. Uh, so we'll keep them in prayer. I uh, want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Trust you had a great time. This is Pastor Vince. I'll be back on the air tomorrow with our dear friends from Honduras, Brian and Kathy. Until then, shalom. God bless. Have a super blessed and abundant day in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.